Today on the show, I'll tell you what I thought of the Seahawks mock game yesterday at Lumen Field. I'll tell you who I thought flashed in the game, my overall big picture impressions of what I saw, and also some news and notes and how that might impact the roster. My reaction to the Seahawks mock game coming up next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Back in the studio today after having a chance to meet up with Corbin Smith um, earlier this week in person. Hope you checked out that episode. If you didn't, do so right after this one. Um, lots of support. Every time I have Corbin on the show, you guys really enjoy that connection. And uh, Corbin and I have been working together for years. It's always great to have him on and have his thoughts, too. It's really going into this mock game yesterday at Lumen Field. Um, kind of changed my impression, some of his first-person um, thoughts on what he saw in practice, some things that I looked for last night. Before we get started, hit that like button on the YouTube channel and subscribe to the channel. It's the best way to support the show. Closing in on 2,000 subscriptions. We'd really like to get there before week one. And also, if you listen to the audio version, hit subscribe. That way you know the second I post new episodes. And some really, really cool stuff coming up. Uh, Monday, Maddie Brown of the uh, Seattle Overload podcast is joining me. You know him, you love him from across the pond. He's going to break down uh, what he saw, what he could glean from some of the pictures and video from Lumen Field last night. X and O's wise, we know how much Bat- Maddie loves to dive into the schematic setup of what we're seeing on defense. So I can't wait to get his thoughts. And then um, I'm going to make you wait for this one. I have a huge announcement about it. Uh, a guest that I've, uh, I'm really excited about having on the show, and he has let me know that he is, um, uh, he is going to come on the show. We just need to work out our schedules. So stick around to the end, and I'll break that news for you as well. Uh, let's get into it. Um, Lumen Field last night, the Seahawks beat the Seahawks twenty to seventeen. Um, the way this thing was structured, so this used to be called a scrimmage, and it used to be held on the practice field, and nobody came to it. And then somebody decided at some point, uh, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's market this thing. Let's monetize this thing. Let's, let's give it to the fans. So I think a couple years ago, I think the first time they did it was at Renton Memorial High School, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and then uh, moved it to Lumen Field, I think, last year. And it's pretty cool. Um, you know, they really only open up the west side of the 100 level. It's a neat opportunity for fans for a very low cost to be able to sit a little closer than maybe they normally do. Great example for myself. I sit in section 324. Uh, that's where my season tickets are, row K, if you ever want to come say hi. Um, so for 20 bucks, I got to sit basically on the 50-yard line about 9, 10 rows up. Uh, watched the first half from there, and then the second half, I went around to the end zone because I wanted to be able to get some pictures and video um, from an end zone angle. Um, so got the opportunity to do that yesterday because the place wasn't sold out, but really neat event. And, and really Pete Carroll will tell you that one of the primary objectives of the mock game is to run the team through game day operations, how to, how to work the game, the game day schedule, get your warmups in, right? The pregame routine, go back into the locker room, come back out for introductions, how to handle halftime the logistics of that for a lot of the new guys. Uh, but it's also a chance to, to play full speed, although not full contact. Let me be clear. In fact, they had the, uh, the extra safety padding on their helmets um, 
to uh, which is designed to uh, minimize the possibility of getting a concussion. So they were doing that as well. So not they're not hitting full time. It's basically one step up from what we see in the Pro Bowl now. It's better than what we see at the Pro Bowl. The 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 contact and the physicality up front is legitimate to the point that there's a tackle to be made. Um, so you're not allowed to hit the quarterback with any kind of force. Um, and then when you get to a running back, the, the, the refs blow it dead. So you're not out there really flying around and hitting per se. Um, and so what I look like is a couple of things, cause I can't watch everything. I've had people reach out to me on Twitter. What, how'd this guy look? How'd this guy look? How'd this guy look? Um, and there isn't a TV copy to go back and watch after the fact either. So that's why I've always loved the term guys who flash because it indicates players that catch your eye and grab your attention when you're not necessarily focused on them. Um, and so I'm going to go through that, tell you some guys who flashed some individual performances that really stood out. Then I'll give you some overall impressions of what I saw. And then we'll get into a couple of news and notes. Um, and then the big announcement about a guest coming on the show soon. Uh, players who flashed in this one for me, first and foremost, Devin Witherspoon. Didn't play a lot, but played early. And uh, I can't remember the receiver now. I think it might have been Cody Thompson. But early on, I even have video of this. I posted it on Twitter last night. Um, and maybe as you're watching this on YouTube right now, you're watching the video of that because I may overlay it. Um, but just made a really, really great play on a ball, breaking hard on an outbreaking route. And got in it the last second, got his hand on the ball, knocked it, knocked it away for a pass, pass breakup. Just showed showed everything that you love about Devin Witherspoon there. His his recognition, his ability to break on the ball, his quickness, and his ball skills. Pretty cool. Pretty cool play to start off. Um, Jake Bobo certainly didn't get going until a little bit later because he was playing with the twos. And the way they structured this, the ones played against the twos on both sides of the ball. So the second team offense against the starting defense, first team offense against starting uh against the second team defense and then uh some of the threes played later on against the threes and then on the last drive of the game um i think late they went twos against twos just trying to mix and match a little bit jake bobo the big tall 6-4 receiver out of ucla that uh really stood out in, in otas in minicamp uh, pete brought him up a lot and he's, he's become a fan favorite as a sleeper to make the roster Despite the the fact the reason he was available as an undrafted free agent clocked a really poor forty time, but I've had I've had people get back to me and say, hey, that wasn't you know he had a bad day, the weather was bad. Uh, Chip Kelly himself came on local radio and said, ignore that time. He's a gamer. Uh, he always pops in practice. He's quicker than he looks, and he just he really knows. And Pete talked about him after the game last night. Really knows. Uh, said he was really savvy. Really knows how to use his body, get in and out of breaks and uh, find the holes in the defense. He had seven catches last night for 76 yards and a touchdown on the last play of the game from Drew Locke. Um, nearly had another touchdown in the first half where he just barely didn't get his feet down in the back of the end zone. Uh, would have been a spe uh, spectacular catch. Really used all of his height, reached up and got the ball near the goal, uh, near the goal post. Um Boye Mafe had a strip, what would have been a strip sack in the second half. It wasn't supposed to touch the quarterback, but came around on the outside edge, knocked the ball out of the quarterback's hands. Would have been a strip sack on that one. Um, and, and honestly, I saw a lot of flashes from a lot of the outside linebacker guys. I saw Mike Morris 
putting some putting some heat on the quarterback and moving really, really well for as big and tall as he is. He really stands out physically when he's out there. Cam Young on a couple of run plays. Saw him get that kind of penetration, fill his gap, and stuff a couple of run plays. That was cool to see. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, but all the outside guys saw Tyreek, Tyreek Smith a couple of times flash into your eye as, as making some, whatever, you know, if you can call it pressure, uh, the quarterbacks both look good. Geno Smith, uh, unofficially, I guess you could say 10 out of 15 for 171 yards. Drew Locke was efficient 16 out of 22 for 178. Both those guys connected on some big plays. Um, Locke had a TD on the last play of the game to Jake Bobo. And and what really stood out to me from both the quarterbacks is they were looking downfield. They were looking to, to make some big plays. Smith had a couple long uh, completions, one to Jackson Smith and Jigbo, one to DK Metcalf. Another one to Metcalf would have been a 30-plus yard play that Metcalf just couldn't, couldn't handle. Um, it was a little disappointing to see Metcalf drop a ball like that on the sideline. But, uh, but a nice read, nice ball placement. Smith would have been over 200 yards passing on 10 completions in the game. But they also just, what stood out to me from both of them is they took what was there. They weren't afraid to dump it down, spread the ball around. A lot of people got different touches. Metcalf, two catches, 51 yards. Jackson Smith and Jigba, two catches for 37 yards. Saw Cody Thompson uh, catch the ball. Saw Cade Johnson, Aesop Winston Jr., even go Cougs on a day that was really, really tough. I'm not going to get into that today. Uh, kind of a soul-crushing day as a WSU fan or a fan of the Pac-12 in general. Just wanted to throw that out there because it was cool to see Aesop Winston uh, make a nice catch and get involved. And um, uh, did I mention Cade Johnson uh, as well? And uh, that's key because we're going to talk about the wide receiver position in just a minute. Um, I thought the offensive first-team offensive line look, looked really smooth. Looked really comfortable. And again, hard to tell because even though it looked like, and Pete even, even name-checked and, and said after the mock game that he liked the consistent pass pressure that he saw all day. You can have pass pressure and also have good pass, prote pass protection, if that makes sense. And that's what I saw from the first-team offensive line. They seemed to play together really well. I didn't really pay attention to the center position, who was in there, who wasn't, because there were so many other things to pay attention to. I haven't read a lot about it about how much, when it was Ola Timi, when it was Evan Brown. But as a whole, they just looked like a like a really efficient unit. And even though there was pressure, they looked like they communicated well and passed off well and protected the edges and the interior. And we know that that was a weakness last year, that offensive line, was interior pressure. Uh, I thought they looked good. Uh, and against a really interesting second defensive line, that featured, we saw, we didn't, early in the game, we didn't see a lot of running. I, I would like to see a breakdown of pass plays versus running plays in that first half. Some of that was due to personnel. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, they, they came out real heavily throwing the football early on. Um, and so you saw a lot of nickel and dime. 
And that second team defensive line was really interesting. So you had Mike Morris, Tyreek Smith, Derek Hall, and Miles Adams. Saw that combination out there multiple times. So you, you don't have a true defensive tackle in that alignment, right? I mean, Adams is a guy who, who can play some quote-unquote nose tackle or he'll play the interior. But we also saw him yesterday playing defensive end. And you heard Corbin Smith talk about how he's a guy that's really stood out in this camp. And it kind of gets overlooked a little bit when we talk about those defensive linemen. But those four, and then on the interior and more running downs and, and, and long distance downs, you had Cameron Young, the fourth round pick, and Robert Cooper, the undrafted free agent out of Florida State, who was with the Seahawks early in camp. He was one of the initial UDFAs. Then he was cut. Don't know if there was an injury involved or not. And then he was brought back. So he was in there rotating with the twos, which is promising because we've talked about the need for depth there, additional depth at that spot. I th that was a really, really cool combination. We've heard about Tyreek Smith all offseason, that he's finally healthy, the fifth-round pick out of Ohio State last year. We didn't get to see because he landed on IR. And now with Alton Robinson being cut and Daryl Taylor being banged up, Tyreek Smith's going to get not just an opportunity to make the roster, but also play some more significant snaps. Something else that flashed for me yesterday was Bobby Wagner, not necessarily just what he was doing, but just the fact he was doing it. It doesn't appear that the Seahawks are holding Bobby Wagner back this preseason at all. He was out there a lot. He was even, I was surprised to see him in the second half. We've heard that his last year in Seattle, when it looked like maybe he was on the downside of his career and it may have played into the decision for the Seahawks to move on from him when they did, the combination of impending salary and what he looked like physically on the field, that he's he says he's 100% healthy now. He himself has said he wasn't fully healthy his last year in Seattle, and he is now, and they don't appear to be holding him back. I would have not been surprised in this game if Bobby didn't play at all or very little getting reps for Vi Jones, getting reps for John Radigan and Devin Bush. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And then uh, Holton Nailers. You know, a lot of people, preseason is about the backup quarterbacks a lot of times. I remember being young and 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 I that's what I loved about the preseason. Teams would carry three quarterbacks back then. And so that, that, that third quarterback position was so important. It was You just saw a lot more reps given to fringe quarterbacks getting a chance to make the roster. I remember watching a, an unsung rookie out of a tiny little college none of us had ever heard of in the preseason many years ago, Dave Craig, coming in and just looking like a really fun player and thinking, well, who's that guy and what's he doing and how's he doing that? And then we know his trajectory and what he ended up being for the Seahawks long-term. Um, same thing out of John Kitna. And, and we don't really get those opportunities anymore. The second guy plays most of the preseason and the third spot's usually kind of written in stone. Well, the Seahawks have only had three quarterbacks in camp. They typically only roster two, and then they have a third on the practice squad. There have been some indications that Holton Ehlers, kid out of East Carolina with the prolific college career, Thousands and thousands of passing yards, 100 total touchdowns. The lefty, big, 6'4", strong, over 225, 230 pounds, but also just doesn't look that size. Looks really athletic and, and natural as an athlete. 
and we know about his movement skills from his history in college. And he was moving around, had a couple of, of what would have been long scrambles and maybe even longer if, uh, if they were playing full speed. Uh, had a really cool touchdown pass in the second half that I have on tape um, where he manipulates the pocket, moves around a little bit. But even though he's in the red zone, he's, he's close to the end zone. He's an anxious rookie getting his first time in an organized scrimmage in an NFL game. Instead of just trying to run for it, keeping his eyes downfield, waiting for the, the receiver to pop. He was one of the undrafted tight ends for a touchdown pass. Looked good. And there were indi- there have been reports that he has not looked good in practice. And I believe it was Bob Condota who just the other day said that that's a position that the, they'll likely look to upgrade at cuts at the end of camp. So really important for Holt Nailers if he wants to make this team on the practice squad to look good in the preseason. He's one of the guys that, that I'm going to be watching on Thursday. We'll do a show later this week on things I'm looking for out of that first preseason game. And then certainly we'll do a reaction show afterwards. Um... And uh, all eyes are going to be on Holt Nailers. Can he make an impression? Um, speaking of impressions, some of my overall impressions from the game, more big picture stuff. Uh, the offense just the the offense looked ready for prime time, man. They looked ready to go. They looked insane. There were some holding issues early on. Carroll called him out after the game for being sloppy, which was interesting because you don't know at the time. Got a chance to to meet up with Adam and, and Brandon from the from the Seahawkers podcast yesterday. They were there, went and chatted with them at halftime, and we we talked about this. Hey, hey, you really don't know if that's sloppiness or legitimate holds by the offensive line, or if it's something that the coaching staff had asked the referees to emphasize, or the league has asked the referees to emphasize. But Carol made it sound like it was a little bit of sloppiness. Uh, so there were some holding calls early on, but just as far as they just looked in sync. Both quarterbacks, as I said, all three quarterbacks, spreading the ball around. Good formation of the pocket. Getting guys involved. Um, there were some running running plays that popped, although it's, it's of anything, of all the things that we see in the mock game or scrimmages like this, the running plays are kind of the hardest to gauge. You can judge what the defense is doing as far as their initial fills. And I'm going to send some of the video I got to Maddie and have him look at it uh, so he can give us his thoughts on Monday. But beyond that, you know, we know the running game is so much about after contact and you don't get to see that aspect of it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, and then I thought on defense in general, lots of speed, lots of athletic ability. You can see the youth and dynamic athleticism on the defense. You can see all the work that's been going into drafting and developing that side of the roster in a specific vision coming to fruition. They are flying around, man. We're not going to get beat by speed. We're not. Still questions about whether some teams will be able to take it to us up front. But they're not going to be able to outrun us. We got speed on top of speed on top of speed. 
Um, let's go to some more current news and notes coming out of the game. The biggest concern going into the game, the injuries to the running back situation, Kenneth Walker with a groin and Zach Charbonnet with what sounded for a while like a mysterious shoulder injury. We got the word Wednesday uh, or Thursday that uh, that he was fine. He was fine. He was back in practice. He was going to play in this game. He did not. They took it easy with him. Um, Kenneth Walker, Pete keeps telling us that groin is nothing serious. Corbin told us the groin's nothing serious. They're just being uber careful with him because you don't want to mess with the groin injury. You send a guy out there, especially if the running back position, at 95% on a groin, there's a there's a less than zero chance that you're going to re-aggravate that. We certainly don't want that from our lead running back. But the way that they've talked about the lack of severity of that injury, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him in practice, um, if not this week, then the week after the first preseason game. But during the game, Kenny McIntosh uh, came up lame um, on a play in which uh, he actually fumbled, went into the tent, came out, had his knee wrapped, was walking around on the sidelines. So it didn't look very serious, but it's so hard to tell these days. We've, we, I don't want to get ahead. We, we've seen guys tear their ACL and walk around on the sidelines as if nothing's happening. So Pete, I think used the word sprain after the game, but they'll obviously have to do some testing and, and determine the severity of it. We may not hear for a couple of days, um, but hopefully that is a minor injury to Kenny McIntosh because despite the fact that Charbonnet's back this week and Walker should be back soon, McIntosh has taken advantage of those extra reps in training camp and really stood out and been the star of camp so far. Um, and it's the depth of those three guys together that we like, right? We like DJ Dallas, and he looked like the consummate pro, and he was out there getting most of the touches last night, had a touchdown. But it's those three rookies that get us excited, and so let's get them healthy. Hopefully we'll get some good news on McIntosh coming up soon. Um, <clears throat> the other two pieces of news that Daryl Taylor has a shoulder thing now. They don't know the severity of that, although Pete said he was feeling a lot better Wednesday. Um, but him not being out there just as I mentioned earlier, amplified the depth that we have at that outside linebacker position. And you get more reps now for Tyreek Smith to go with Boye Mafe and Uchenna Nuosu, obviously, and then the rookie Derek Hall. Um, and then the big news yesterday morning was the suspension of D. Eskridge. And yet another piece of bad news for D. Eskridge. What was interesting about this, in this day and age of uh, the invasive and, and ever-present press, is that nobody knew anything was up. The team did. But back in January, apparently there was a domestic violence issue um, between D and his partner. And um, and the league felt it was significant enough, although I don't think there are any legal charges necessarily, um, but they felt it was necessary based on, on the, the precedent they've set with other DV cases to give him a six-game suspension. So he will be eligible to come back. Week 8 versus Cleveland, that's that home game on October 29th where the throwback uniforms are going to be unveiled. So, look, somebody joked on Twitter yesterday, hey, at least we know he'll be healthy on week 8. Um, and I'm not here to judge what someone, you know, how someone manages their, their personal life. Pete Carroll is as supportive as anyone. Um, and But they gave him, you know, he can still practice in the meantime. I think he can even play in the preseason games. Um, they gave him a lot of reps yesterday. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know where I land on that. We'll see how they use him in the preseason game if he's eligible to play in those. I think he is. I think he can participate in the entire preseason. He just has to leave the facility when the regular season starts. Um, 
But, you know, there's that now becomes the focal point of the preseason is that the end of that wide receiver group, which we thought was going to be tough already, but Derek Young, who we were expecting a lot out of, he's hurt. And they still don't really know 100% the severity of his injury. Um, and so it's now we're talking Cade Johnson, who's had a solid camp. Cody Thompson, who was the star of last year's training camp before getting hurt. Um, maybe it provides an opportunity for an Aesop Winston. And certainly Jake Bobo made another statement yesterday. And what's interesting about this is Bobo's just different of all those other guys. Because of his length, his height, his uh, potential ability in the red zone, um, he might have the inside track now to grab an extra roster spot because you, you don't you don't lose a roster spot during that suspension. So uh, Eskridge will go on the suspended list and the Seahawks should be able to fill his spot on that 53-man roster. After the preseason game, um, I will do a uh, an updated 53-man roster projection. You'll remember my first one before training camp started. It was very conservative, had very few upsets, um, but things have changed as we expected they would in training camp. Vi Jones has appeared now to have overtaken John Radigan for next in line after Bobby Wagner, Devin Bush at that inside linebacker spot until Jordan Brooks comes back. Um, and so the things like that, Jake Bobo with what he's done in the D Eskridge news, if Kenny McIntosh is, is hurt, does that, does that open up another spot uh, for a fourth running back? Uh, those are things that we will look at. Okay. So, uh, Ryan Leaf has agreed to come on the show. Uh, that was the big news. Former Coog, and uh, a lot of people forget about this. Former Seahawk, and I want to get his thoughts on Geno Smith, how he feels about Smith and the, and the step he may take in, in this his second year, and, and even Drew Locke and his potential if he were to be called upon. And, and, and I'm also going to ask Ryan to, to reflect on his, his short time playing for Mike Holmgren uh, with the Seahawks at the very end of his career. Um, love Ryan, love everything he's done in his personal life. Love him as a Coog. Um, it's a Seahawk podcast, but I might not be able to help myself asking him about the Pac-12 and what he thinks the future of WSU is going to be. But anyway, stay tuned. As soon as we get that scheduled, I'll get it out there for you. Uh, Ryan Leaf will be on the show soon. Matty Brown joins me Monday, and then I'll do a preview, uh, things I'm looking for out of the preseason game, a reaction to that. Uh, lots coming up on the show over the next couple of weeks. Like this video, subscribe to the channel, subscribe to the audio podcast, and follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Until next time. Forever and always, go Hawks.